this morning when I walked into the foyer, um, I was asked um, uh, what part of Romans I'm going to speak from this morning. And uh, made me realize that it's true that in the last number of years, I don't know how long, uh, I have um, only spoken from the book of Romans here uh, in, uh, in, this, in these services. Um, but uh, this morning, um, I'm not going there, um, and uh, I'm, I'm going to do something that I very seldom have done in the last number of years, and, and that is uh, I, I usually, I'm used to uh, preaching expositionally from a passage of scripture, and uh, this morning I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be a topical in, uh, in my preaching, and I don't do well with that uh, normally, and so I ask that you uh, continue to pray as we, um, as we, as I minister to you this morning. I'm entitling my message this morning, Roots and Wings. Uh, I, I, uh, and the burden of this message is that I want to speak to you about how Christian parents, and especially young Christian parents, how fathers and mothers can guide and direct their children in their spiritual life and development. Uh, the, uh, the, the burden for uh, what I'm going to attempt to share with you goes back uh, to Edna and my own parenting years, uh, way back, which started in, uh, in 1969 when Andrea was born. Um, and um, so it's, it's been uh, a long many years since we began parenting. Uh, so roots and wings. I, I, I spoke on this subject uh, several times in the past 40 years in several different places. Uh, the first time that I spoke using this title, Roots and Wings, was uh, back in 1981, <clears throat> when I was asked to speak to a sizable group of parents who were uh, patrons of a Clinton Christian School, day school, uh, at, uh, in Goshen, Indiana. And uh, here are a few general things that I, that I said there uh, at, uh, at this time. I'm not going to uh, repeat that, this message uh, because I'm going in a different direction that I have gone before in relation to this. But someone has said that there are two important priceless gifts uh, that parents can give to their children, and those two gifts are roots and wings. These are uh, not gifts that you can buy in a store and uh, give to your children, but uh, there are gifts that flow out of our calling and responsibility as Christian parents. Um, the, the gift of roots, uh, I'm especially... Uh, I'm especially focusing on that this morning, the gift of roots. Uh, giving your children roots um, uh, has to do with building into your child a strong, solid, 
moral character in the context of a loving parent-child mentoring relationship. The, uh, the, the gift of wings has to do with releasing, being able to release, and, and has to do with launching your child uh, into life uh, that uh, uh, that child can become, um, live his own life as a responsible adult. There's a poem um, that uh, uh, struck me as I was thinking uh, and as I was going through my, uh, my note folder <laughs> from, uh, on, on this message. It's, it's called the, uh, the builder, uh, A Builder Built a Temple. A builder built a temple. He wrought it with care and skill. Pillars and groins and arches all fashioned to do his will. And men said as they saw its beauty, it shall never know decay. Great is thy skill, O builder, thy fame shall endure for a. A father and mother built a temple with infinite loving care, planning each arch with patience, laying each stone with prayer. None praised their unceasing efforts, none knew of their wondrous plan, for the temple the parents built was unseen by the eye of man. Gone is the builder, the builder's temple, crumbled into dust. Low lies each stately pillar, food for consuming rust. But the temple that the father and mother builded will last while the ages roll. For that beautiful, unseen temple was a child's immortal soul. That was written by Hattie Voice Hall. Um, recently, uh, I've been challenged <laughs> with a book written by Anne Ortland, Anne, Anne Ortland entitled Children Are Wet Cement. Interesting title, isn't it? Children Are Wet Cement. In this book, the author reminds us that children are very, very impressionable in their young lives. How well we know this. In this book, we, yes, uh, it talks about how we affect our children deeply by what we say, by how we discipline them, by what we do and don't do, by how we live, probably most of all, by what we are. I remember uh, also um, uh, hearing Dr. Clyde Narrowmore from um, Los Angeles, California, back in the 80s and 90s, who had a uh, uh, who did workshops. He was an early uh, a Christian psychologist. But he was in Winnipeg, Manitoba, and uh, he spoke on the topic entitled, As a Twig is Bent. And he was talking about this subject of how we train our children uh, like, like a, a green twig that is bent. 
He was really uh, making the same point that uh, Anne Orland is making in her book, Children Are Wet Cement. Young children uh, can be shaped and molded um, by moms and dads. That's an amazing uh, uh, privilege, but also uh, an awesome responsibility. Well, thinking about this this week, I, I looked out in my study window uh, and uh, saw the, uh, the pink dockwood tree just outside in the, uh, uh, where I planted it six or eight years ago. And it stands there crooked like this, pointing to the south. <laughs> uh, uh, the trunk leans heavily toward the south. And it aggravates me to no end. That <laughs> trunk should be standing straight up. You know what happened? When I planted that tree six or eight years ago, a gift from our children, from my, our children um, I, I planted it straight up. And I even tied with a small rope uh, from three points to hold it straight up. But I, I, I uh, took off those restrictions too early. And inadvertently, over the years, I don't know why, but that trunk leaned to the south, and I don't like it. <laughs> it's still beautifully pink every spring, but I just don't like that leaning trunk. It's because... I, I wasn't persistent in those early years while that tree was a sapling and could be bent and, and, and made to stand straight up. Well, it just reminds me of, uh, of uh, some of the things that Clyde Naramore said uh, way back there. Uh, young children can be shaped and molded by moms and dads. The, the mandate God gives to, I would like to talk about the mandate that God gives uh, to shape and mold our children uh, as it's given in Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6, just for a few moments, an introduction to, to this uh, subject of roots and wings. And this is what it says. You're, you're very familiar with it. Verse 22 says, um, uh, where am I? Chapter 20 and uh, 22 and verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Note several things about this admonition to us to train up a child in the way, the way he should go. Verse, one, verse six, as you notice, stands in contrast to, uh, to verse five that says, thorns and snares are, the way of the, are in the way of the froward. He that doeth, he that doeth uh, keep he that doth keep his soul shall be far from them, 
train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from them. But verse 5 uh, seems to stand in contrast to, uh, to verse 6. Um, it rem- verse 5 reminds us that frowardness, which is a word we don't use very often, uh, but, um, it, but it's uh, frowardness it has to do with the, may I call it the natural bent. Um, and it's a, it's a natural bent because I believe that the, the bent to sin uh, is inborn in a child when it, when, when it is conceived and born. Um, I, I believe that. Um, uh, Romans 5 reinforces that. <laughs> Uh, that it is an inborn bent passed from our father Adam uh, to, uh, to us. But so verse 6 stands in contrast to, to, this, uh, to the, what it says about the, 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 the way of the froward. Um, and uh, frowardness basically means perversity or rebellion. Um, of, uh, and, and in verse 15 of chapter 22, it tells us that foolishness is, uh, foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child. Now, now the term foolishness is close, really close to the word froward. Um, foolish does not mean silliness but it does mean uh, perversity. Um, in, in a, and in this context, it's synonymous with, uh, with the concept of being forward. But verse six says, to train up a child uh, in the way it should go. Not in the way he, he or she wants to go, but train up a child in the way he, he should go. It, this implies both instruction and discipline. Uh, Adam Clark, uh, in his commentary, does an extensive uh, expose of, uh, of this verse. Uh, let me just give a few thoughts that glean from him. Uh, it, it means uh, to, to train, to train up, means to initiate a child into God's way of life. Uh, instruct him how to conduct himself on this path of life. Show him or her the duties, uh, the dangers of living a forward life, and the blessings of uh, the, the, the right path. Nurture, teach, and discipline your child in the way of God. Uh, observe and illustrate by your own conduct how to walk the way of God's commandment. Your child will follow in the way uh, that he will follow in the way throughout his entire life. <clears throat> See the um, and, and let me let me make an observation here is that the the discipline aspect of training up a child is primarily a father's role. I I I, I get this from uh, what Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, and also in uh, Colossians chapter three. And verse 21, when it says, and you fathers. <laughs> um, uh, and you fathers, 
verse 4 it is, uh, and you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I, I'm not saying that a mother shouldn't uh, discipline a child, but, but it's the primary role and responsibility of the father. I, I take that from, from this. Um, so, uh, you know, and it, it, uh, it has to do with, uh, with discipline. Um, you know, uh, the, there, there are two tendencies uh, that I uh, observe. Uh, I've observed it in my own life, and I observe it, observe it in, a few, in the lives of a few other fathers that I've uh, watched over the years. And that is that uh, the, the tendencies of a father has to, uh, that has to, he has to guard himself against when it comes to disciplining his children is first of all passivity and secondly anger. It's easy for a father to be passive when it comes to the discipline of his children. He wants to hand it over to his wife and that, that should not be. I, uh, I, I remember uh, in, a, in a church service, and I'm not telling you where it is, where it was, uh, observing uh, a young family, and, the, uh, and, and, and one of the, uh, the daughters uh, was, uh, the family was sitting, sitting in front of us, uh, one of the daughters was upset about something, the young daughter, and uh, I mean, you could see the fire flying out of her eyes. Uh, in, uh, in anger and rebellion at something. I, I don't know what it was. And the father sat, sat there not paying attention to it at all. Suddenly the mother got up, took the child out, and took care of the problem. And I said, I'd like to take the father out. <laughs> <laughs> the father should have done that. Well, so these two tendencies that a father has to guard against is, is passivity and anger. And especially Paul uh, mentions anger here in Ephesians chapter 6 when it says that fathers provoke not your children to wrath. I believe when a father does this in anger, he provokes his children to wrath. And, uh, uh, and so the admonition is very strong here where it says, bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Um, both passivity and anger are uh, detrimental. <coughs> now, the, the burden of this message uh, this morning uh, is, uh, is not on child discipline per se, um, but on leading and directing your child to and in the way of salvation. That, that's what I'm concerned about this morning. Someone has said that uh, the, the only thing a mom or dad can take with them to heaven is their children. Uh, not their bank account, <laughs> not their beautiful home, but their children. And that's so true. <laughs> That's really the only thing you can take to heaven with you. Um, so, uh, so I want to I want to speak to you this morning. I, my burden, my focus is 
on leading and directing your children into a saving and a transforming relationship with Christ. Um, it, uh, oh, before I go there, uh, let me tell you a little bit about Andrea. She's not here, so I can talk about her, right? Um, and and uh, an experience I had with her when I was a young father. You know, when Andrea came home from the hospital with Edna, uh, she had these uh, uh, she had this these long eyelashes that that just uh, drew you in, uh, and uh, you almost had to think that uh, there could be no evil in this child. <laughs> you know. Well, um, before the first year was out, I had an, an uh, engagement with uh, this beautiful little child of mine, of ours. I don't remember exactly how old she was, but she was, I'd say, within the first year. Uh, I, I was holding her in the living room on my lap, and something didn't please her. She got very upset. And uh, she began to kick and scream, and, <laughs> and I said, oh, that's, that's my beautiful little child. <laughs> and, and this went on and on and on, and I determined that uh, uh, she's going to give up. Uh, I, I didn't spank her at that point, but I decided that, that I'm going to last this out. And I held her on my lap while she kicked and screamed and wiggled and wanted to get away from me. She, wanted, she, she was about to have her own way about something, and I don't know what that something was anymore, but it went on for an extended period of time. And, um, and all at once, as I, as, I, as I persisted, all at once, Andrea stopped. She stopped screaming, she stopped crying, and smiled. And I knew that I had won. <laughs> you know, th this, this kind of uh, nurturing and discipline is, uh, is, is for a long time you know, <laughs> many years. You, you, you must persist, and, and I, I think you'll win. I mean, you, you'll, you'll be, you'll be uh, you're, you're training, you're, you're, you're bending the, the green twig, remember, the green sapling, uh, in, in, in the way of the Lord. It works. Well, but my focus really is not on, as I said, is not on discipline. My focus is leading and directing your children in a saving and a transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I really want you to think with me about this matter. Uh, I, I don't have, uh, this morning, I don't have an airtight theology that I'm going to present to you and uh, uh, expound to you on this uh, subject matter. But, but I have been thinking about this uh, matter for a long time, and I've been, I've been uh, um, putting little notes in my file <laughs> uh, uh, during this time. 
about this. When I'm referring to leading and directing your children into a saving and a transforming relationship with Christ, I'm speaking about leading your children to experience that something which you ultimately can't give them. But you can lead and direct them to it. That's the important thing. They themselves have to reach out and embrace that uh, um, saving and transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. But it's important that we know how to lead our child uh, up to that particular point. Um, I'm referring to what Jesus spoke uh, of to uh, Nicodemus uh, as the new birth in John chapter 3, verses 3 through 21, when he said, and he repeated it twice uh, as, uh, as something that you must do. He said, you must be born again. And so I'm, I'm talking about that, 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 uh, that experience of being born again uh, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. I'm, I'm also referring to, to that what Paul spoke to of in, uh, in Titus chapter 3, verse 5, as the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. An awesome experience. And to what Paul referred to as being baptized into Jesus Christ, uh, Romans chapter 6 and verse 3. Furthermore, I'm referring to what Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 33, uh, speaks about, and uh, and Hebrews uh, 8.10 and 10.16 also refer to it, but it, it speaks of this spiritual transformation as the new covenant by which God will make, and uh, he... Uh, and, and, and that he will uh, uh, make and, and that he will give to the, uh, to the house of Israel in, his, in which he will put his laws not on tablets of stone as he did on Mount Sinai, but he's going to take the laws of God and indelibly imprint them upon their minds and upon the tablets of their hearts. <laughs> that is the new birth. That is being baptized into Jesus Christ. That is the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. And may I emphasize the fact that without that spiritual reality, that spiritual dynamic in one's life, any attempt to live the Christian life is nothing but empty religiosity. I must reiterate that a major goal for bringing up our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, is to lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
It is at that point <laughs> when you've led them to that place you have given them the gift of wings and they can begin to navigate life as it comes to them by the grace of God. Now, now let me tell you why I'm concerned. Yes, even, even intensely concerned, as you, as you have probably noticed, about this. As some of you have, uh, may have noticed that I've been, I've had the opportunity to teach at SMBI for about the last 13 years, beginning in 2007. Um, when Leroy Yoder was diagnosed with cancer and couldn't teach anymore, and they uh, brought me in to uh, take his place with some of his classes. Um, and then, in, in, that was in the, the, the spring of 2007, and then in the fall of 2007, in the, the, I began teaching the Book of Romans for the first time at SMBI. From there on, I taught Romans about every other year for a number of years. Uh, and, but the last several years, I've been teaching Romans at SMBI every year, once every year. Um, and then I ended my, uh, my stint of teaching at SMBI this past winter and spring. I, I told them that's it, I'm, <laughs> I'm done, uh, by teaching two terms in succession uh, on the Book of Romans. So I, I've had the opportunity to teach Romans uh, 11 times at SMBI in the last 13 years, including uh, two, uh, twice at Minister's Week. Um, I, I, uh, I say all this to you uh, not to tell you, uh, per se, what, what all I've done, but I, I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm saying this to you because uh, uh, for two reasons. Number one, uh, it's been an interesting journey and, and an intense journey for me, and I just want to say I've learned a lot in the process. I don't know what all my students learned, but I've learned a lot uh, in the process. And secondly, somewhere along the way, I started to ask my students two questions at the beginning of each ter term on Romans. Um, and, and the first question I asked them at the first day and went around the, 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 the circle with the students that were there, uh, why Romans? Why are you enrolled in this, uh, in, in this, uh, in this study of Romans? Uh, and about 90% of the students said, I want to know in more depth about my salvation. This, this, this came through just over and over again. I want to know in depth about, more about my personal salvation. But I also began to, I asked the second question 
of each student to tell us about their spiritual journey, about their, uh, and I want, to, want us to share with us in class about your initial experience of salvation and, uh, and how you perceived it and how, you, how you've gone forward with it. So in the last number of years since I started doing that, I have heard many, maybe hundreds, I've listened to hundreds of testimonies of our young people, young men and ladies, 18 years and up, and uh, their story, their stories about their spiritual journey. Um, and about 95% of their stories were very, very, very similar. <laughs> In fact, uh, the last class I taught, I had 27 students. And it took us all turn because we only took about 10, 15 minutes at the beginning of each class to, to do this. And so some, sometimes only, I could only, it was only one student that spoke for 15 minutes to give their story. And it took us almost all term to get through. But, but their story was very, very familiar and finally are um, similar. And one of the, finally, one of the girls, one of the last girls to give her testimony in my last uh, term, uh, she said, why are we doing this? Everybody's saying the same thing. <laughs> and it's true. I've always been a sort of astounded at that. And these, some of these young men and ladies uh, became very candid about the matter. It, their testimonies were so similar that it became predictable for me. <laughs> it didn't all say the same thing, but in the same way, but this, this is the essence of their, of their story. L let me just give it to you. And this, this is where my burden began uh, to, uh, to about this matter of uh, parents teaching children the way of salvation. And so uh, there, there are about six things they, they said. Is that sometime between the age of seven to 10, most of them said, I became aware there was such a place as hell. I also began, began to feel guilty for some, some sin I committed. You know, like lying, especially was probably one of them most often. I was afraid that I would go to hell if I died. Secondly, so I came to my parents in my fear, often to their mom, and they or she would explain that if I would accept Jesus into my heart, I would be saved and go to heaven when I die, if I die. So I prayed with my mom or my parents, and I felt better. And then as the, the, the next few years went by, and even though I was baptized and some would say it very candidly, I, I was baptized because m my friends were being baptized and I wanted to do the same thing. 
But I, even though I was baptized in the next, uh, after a number of years, uh, between, often between 12 and 15 years of age, I realized at that point I didn't, uh, I, I, I really didn't know what I was doing back there. And it all became a distant and vague memory. So I backslid and got into the wrong crowd. Finally, I got convicted about how I was living, and I recommitted my life to, Christ, to, to God. Now I'm on a journey, and I want to know more about my salvation. Uh, and that, that's, a, that's a short uh, uh, description of, of what the students, in essence, said. A few of these students would come to my office, sit there, and say something like this. I'm really struggling with assurance with spiritual reality what can I do or they would even sometimes approach Ed and I in the hallway or in the public lounge and, and share their doubts and struggles Um, uh, let, me, let me make an observation, some observations here. In the latter half of the last century, the evangelical church at large started a ministry program called Child Evangelism. Ever heard of it? They put together a teaching program using Bible stories, illustrations, and lessons to evangelize children uh, in places like VBS, Sunday School, Children's Church, Bible Clubs, etc., etc., where, where they would give altar calls inviting children to be saved. And then they would say, those who raise their hand or would come forward, those children, they would say to those children something like this. If you really meant, uh, and, and they, would in, they would invite them to pray a prayer after them, often. And then they would say, if you really meant what you prayed, you are now saved. All of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. And you will go to heaven when you die, no matter what. And, and can you imagine the response of the children saying, I am, I will? <laughs> well, all I'm going to say about that is this. While we in our conservative Mennonite churches in the last number of years haven't in a wholesale way accepted the child evangelism, child evangelism program into our churches. We have inadvertently patterned some of the, the way we lead our children to salvation after their way of evangelizing children. We, oh, the other observation I've made and as I listen to my students is that 
we have allowed our children to sort of model through uh, early childhood uh, commitments to Christ and or through the adolescent and early years, uh, teen years, um, even through to the latter teens, um, into a, on into adulthood, without a lot of clear guidance from us as parents or even from pastors. And uh, all of this, <laughs> all of this has caused me to begin uh, thinking about this. And I've, I've discussed with this with, with my fellow teachers at SMBI and other ministers where I've ministered uh, in churches. And uh, I, uh, I also, uh, I also uh, dialogued with Steve Brubaker about this when he was here, what, a year ago, uh, speaking to us. And so uh, I, I've been thinking about this for several years. I, I, and this is the first time I've really publicly spoken about it. Uh, and um, I, I do so with some trepidation. But um, I'm, <laughs> I have a few things I want to say. I want to, I, want to get, I want to give some direction on this matter of leading our children to a dynamic, saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, I would first strongly, again, encourage you who have young families to be diligent in nurturing and admonishing your little ones and bring them up in the nurture and the admonition and the fear of God. Uh, and, and, and during that time, you're going to uh, shape uh, their, their conscience, and that's an awesome responsibility. But you are in the process of shaping uh, uh, their, their conscience when you do so. And, and I especially encourage you fathers to be proactive in this matter. And, and, and especially, and this is also, I've discovered it was hard for me. I was, I, I, it's often hard for other fathers to, uh, it's, I, I believe it's especially uh, important that uh, you, uh, you begin to build a, a, a very personal dynamic relationship with your child. Um, and, and I especially encourage your fathers to be proactive. Uh, don't be passive. And I, I've noticed in, in some of you how you have, uh, how you're proactive, and I'm encouraged by that. I want to say that, um, how you uh, engage your children. But some direction um, as to how uh, to engage uh, your children and uh, lead them to a dynamic relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, I just encourage you to, to in those early years, uh, begin to nurture and, and develop in your children um, uh, the fear of God. But between the ages of about 6 through 11, which seems to be the age when a child that has been brought up in uh, a Christian home and brought up in the fear and admonition of the Lord will become sensitive to doing wrong, you know, like lying and, and other sins, um, and begin to experience guilt. 
Um, and, it, and also at this particular age, somehow I remember that's the way it was with me, I became aware of death and dying. And, and I, I would encourage you in this, and that, that you, you uh, during this particular time, this age level of your children, that you, you teach them that they are safe. And, and, and I, believe, I, I, I believe we believe that. <laughs> that they are safe in their innocence, okay? They're safe in their innocence. We believe that until the age of accountability, which usually happens around 12, 13 years of age, where that begins to happen. But I believe you need to uh, just, uh, you know, let your children know that they are safe as innocent children. But, but you also need to help them deal with the guilt of committing sins that they become aware of. And you must not let that uh, become, uh, you know, uh, go with them throughout their young life. It will affect them deeply if you do. But so this is a time when you can help them find freedom from guilt as a result of committing certain sins by asking, having them come to God for forgiveness and by, and by confessing those sins not only to the parents, but also to, uh, to God. I, I believe this is, this is good. They should do that. I, I would caution, <laughs> I, I would caution you from pushing the concept of salvation onto the young children of this age because of their limited ability to grasp abstract concepts at that particular time. And, and salvation, in a sense, is a very simple thing, but it's also a very abstract concept. And so you, I, I, you should not uh, push uh, these concepts onto your children that they have difficulty grasping its, uh, their, 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 the depth of their concepts. Uh, but, but forgiveness is something your children can grasp. And so uh, lead them to find the forgiveness of God uh, in their lives when they have sinned. Then at the, about the age of 12 and up is the time to discuss and teach the concept of personal salvation. Uh, I, 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 uh, I, this, is, this is usually considered to be the uh, beginning of the age of accountability. Even even then, I understand uh, from my own experience and from listening to my students at SMBI that children, even at this age, at 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, still understand salvation basically from the concept of forgiveness uh, more than anything else. Uh, and uh, I, I, I've... I've heard my students say this, and <clears throat> that it seemed that between the ages of 16 and 18 was a time they began to wrestle deeply, not just with the issue of sins committed, but they become, began to deal with the issue of themselves as a sinner. 
uh, he, he, uh, uh, and so he, he begins to wrestle deeply with the issue of personal per, uh, depravity that, that I suddenly realizing that I sin because I'm a sinner. And, and to me, this is crucial. That's very crucial. I, I've listened to a few students who said, I have wrestled deeply with the issue of sin. And uh, he, uh, he came through uh, to understanding uh, how that God has dealt with his, his, uh, uh, his through uh, the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Uh, and, and you could tell a difference in, the, in how they approach life. I, I believe, I've really come to a, the conviction of the fact that it's crucial to uh, enter into this reality of one's redemption. Uh, in order to do so, you must deal with the issue, not of sins committed only, but of, of, of uh, the, the fact that I am, I am a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. And, and the, 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 the salvation, God's salvation, uh, strikes deeply at the very core uh, of that reality. In closing, I would like to reflect on what I'm going to call two models uh, that depict how a sinner comes to experiencing the transforming power of the gospel. Now, um, I, I give this recognizing that there are many, uh, that many uh, and varied ways people come to experience the, what I've called, what Paul calls the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the, Holy, the, of the power of the Holy Spirit in one's life. Um, but uh, I'd sort of like to narrow it down uh, for simplicity's sake to, to two models that uh, depict how uh, a sinner comes to experience the transforming power of the gospel. And, and the first uh, uh, model I'm going to call a confrontation model. Didn't know what else to call it. <laughs> um, where adult sinners are confronted with the gospel and their need for salvation. An example, uh, several examples of this. The, the 3,000 Jewish people on the day of Pentecost that were converted by the confrontational sermon of the Apostle Peter. <laughs> and they said, men and brethren, <laughs> what shall we do? <laughs> and they were brought to the Lord with the, uh, a confrontation with the gospel. Then they have the Ethiopian eunuch, uh, to whom Philip explained Isaiah chapter 53, uh, that is found in Acts chapter 7. That's also a part of the um, confrontational model. And he ended up saying, what hinders me from, here's water, and what hinders me from being baptized? And then Paul was confronted by the Lord Jesus himself on the Damascus Road in the stories in Acts 9. That was definitely a confrontation model of coming to the Lord. And then you have the Philippians jailer in Acts chapter 16. Well, there are several uh, more contemporary examples out of my own uh, experience of ministering the gospel in Northwestern Ontario. One was uh, Walter Lyon, uh, who as a young man um, 
came to church one Sunday morning and sat in the back bench and, and listened to the preaching. And uh, he said, afterwards, he said, now, now I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not ready to do anything about this. I just want to know what it's all about. But the interesting thing is that he sat there for the next three months every Sunday morning. <laughs> and at about the end of that time, he went home one Sunday morning after, uh, because he was, he was confronted with the gospel through preaching. He went home one Sunday morning and knelt down by his side of his wife and repented and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. And his life was changed. And then Walter shared with his mother, Jessie, who was alcoholic, uh, who, who had lived in perversity uh, for many years. And she was, here she was, a 60-year-old lady. And, and Walter said one time to her, you know, you need Jesus. You need to take Jesus. Jessie, she got home from the hospital that time because she was in for alcoholic poisoning. And, and Jessie um, came to one of my lady staff and, uh, and said, you know, I, I'd like to take Jesus. Can you help me take Jesus? And, and she knelt down. And she was saved by a confrontational model sinner coming to God. Well, that we, we go on and talk about this, but let me bring this to a close. The other model that I want to end up with is what I call the Timothy model. It's found in, in, uh, in 1 Timothy um, chapter 1 and verse 5, in 2 Timothy chapter, chapter 1 and verse 5. Um, when it says, uh, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which was dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that is in thee also. And then in chapter 3 of the same, of 2 Timothy, and verse 15, he said this, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And, and so um, here, uh, uh, Timothy, the Timothy model is that he was brought up in a, can I say, in a Christian home. I don't know if his father was a believer, but his grandmother and his mother, and he was brought up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord like, like God wants your children to be brought up in. And it didn't, it didn't I, I don't believe that Timothy... Uh, he, he, came, he, he came to the Lord in, in a different way than Saul did. You know, well, often idealized the Damascus Road uh, experience for coming to salvation. But it seems to me that Timothy's uh, coming to the place of experiencing the, the saving knowledge and the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ was, was uh, uh, not in, from a confrontational model but more um, uh, gentle, um, little by little, um, where the eyes of the understanding of the, the child, the young, the young person, finally the young adult, uh, is opened up to the, 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 the great realities of his personal salvation, and he reaches out and embraces that for himself. That's what I call the, the, the Timothy model. And um, uh, I, uh, 
I, I just want you to reflect on that. Um, it depicts many of us who were brought up in, in a Christian home. Well, I, uh, I, again, I just want to say to you again, I, uh, I, I want your feedback <laughs> on, on this. Um, and uh, I, I'm in touch with one of my fellow um, teachers from SMBI, Kenneth and Mildred Rink, and from Harrisonburg, because he is intensely interested in this as well. And uh, we're going to be dialoguing about this, and uh, and he, he wants to he's interested in putting together an article uh, in relation to this subject. So uh, pray uh, for us, and also um, uh, I, I just I just want your feedback. How how does this sit with you? The things that I have said, uh, and uh, um, may the Lord bless you as you bring up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord and lead them to that thing, that experience which you can't give them, but that you can lead them to, and that is the saving knowledge and the transforming experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God bless you, young, young men, young parents, uh, as you uh, pick up the challenge of that. Thank you for listening so patiently. Uh, would you stand with me and be dismissed? Lord, I want to thank you. Thank you that uh, you've given us the privilege of being Christian parents. Lord, you have uh, placed into our laps, into our lives, uh, these young children. And I pray that you would give us great wisdom in knowing how to bring them to a place of salvation and spiritual victory in their lives. That they don't have to muddle through with a lot of doubt and fear and anxiety about this matter. Lord, save us from that. And I just pray your special blessing upon each one who has listened here this morning. And I pray it in Jesus' name. You're dismissed.